Merry Christmas, everybody. It's good to be in here with you. God is so good. Hasn't he been good to us this year? It's been difficult, but he is faithful. He is so faithful and so good. I mean, you know, lightened momentary afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory. And I just, uh, I'm rejoicing to be together with you and it's good to be in the Word. It's good to have the gospel preached to us, to preach it to myself while I'm studying, to be together with you in this place and to worship and to sing His praises, to be reminded of so many different aspects of His great salvation. And so it's a joy to be with you tonight. If you could make, make your way to Matthew chapter 2, um, we get, if you've got a lightsaber of a phone, you can probably see it. If not, we'll just have to hang out. It might be up there, so... While you're making their way, I just want to remind you that in a couple weeks, uh, on the 10th, we'll be back in Daniel chapter 7, and we'll be right in the middle of Daniel chapter 7 is the fourth beast, which is Antichrist, and so uh, quite fitting conversation, quite fitting study as we get back into things. But over the next two Sundays, Pastor Marcus is going to be uh, teaching, so please keep him in prayer, and uh, just uh, God's going to bless us as he delivers the word. But tonight we're going to focus on the text really that we've been gleaning from over the past uh, few weeks, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. I'm going to read it for you now. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born of the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is also written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler whom will shepherd my people Israel." <clears throat> Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring, him to, bring word to me that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen uh, where it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Verse 13 now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I will call my son. Over the past few weeks, we focused on the significance of the gifts of the, that the wise men gave to Jesus in this passage in verse 11. Myrrh signifying the humanity and the death of Jesus to uh, redeem us. Frankincense signifying the deity of Jesus Christ, that God came in the flesh to give us eternal life. And gold signifying that Jesus is 
King of kings and Lord of lords, and he has an eternal kingdom, and he offers through his blood the entrance into that kingdom. It's been wonderful to focus on the gift of Jesus over the last uh, few weeks with you. It's been, it's been great. But the question that the world faces now, and every person's going to face, and will have answered one way or the other at the end of their life is, what did you do with the gift of Jesus Christ? Ask yourself that question right now. What have I done with Jesus Christ? What have I done with Jesus Christ? What is my response to Jesus Christ? And this is crucial because in the end, uh, what you have done in response to Jesus Christ determines your eternity. And what we see here in the first few verses of Matthew chapter 12 that I just read, uh, Matthew chapter 2 that I just read, is our responses to Jesus Christ. And these three responses, signified by Herod, Herod's response, the scribes and the Pharisees' response, or the scribes and the uh, chief priest's response, response, and the wise men, those three responses from Herod, the religious leaders, and the wise men, they really give us a snapshot of, of mankind and how we respond to Jesus. They really do. And I would pray that by God's grace, as I briefly go over each one of these, that we would have a window by God's grace into our own hearts of how we have responded to Jesus or how you are responding to Jesus. And may we ask ourselves, how, how have I responded to him? And be honest about it. You know, the first response to Jesus I want us to look at, uh, at is, is that of King Herod. I'm not going to go into all the, the deep teaching on this, but I just want to see that in verse 3, it says that when Jesus, when, when Herod heard of Jesus, he was troubled. And by the way, all of Jerusalem with him. But this was because Jesus was a threat to Herod's rule. Jesus was the king of the Jews, the true king of the Jews. And Herod, the king of the Jews, wanted to maintain power. There was a conflict of power, a conflict of authority, a conflict of control, a conflict of rule. And it's often much the same for many who are confronted with Jesus, of who he is, that he is Lord, and he commands all to repent and believe and obey. And the thought of giving up the rule of your own life, the thought of giving up the rule of your own aspirations of what you want to do and where you're going and you being the decision maker of your life and submitting your life to the Lord, it causes you trouble, like Herod. I remember when I was a teenager and I was in sin, thinking about the Lord, knowing about the Lord, and I was troubled in my heart because I knew what I wanted to do and what he would require of me would require me to lose everything I wanted. I continued down that path, but God was gracious to me. In Herod's heart, unfortunately, we see that there was no place for Jesus to rule, not a place at all. He was on the throne. Herod was on the throne. There was no humility whatsoever. Jesus was troubled to him. Jesus was a threat. And we see into Herod's heart a little bit further. And although Herod appears to kind of go with the flow, to kind of help the wise men and to, uh, you know, say, hey, why don't you go find out where he is so I can come worship him too, in verses 4 and 8. But actually we find in verses 13 and 14 that Herod all along was seeking to destroy Jesus. 
And so there are those in this world that when they are presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ, when they're confronted with Jesus and his kingdom and what he calls us to do in response to him, they're hostile towards Jesus. There's open hostility towards Jesus because they are on the throne of their life. And by the way, that hostility doesn't have to be open. It can be hidden. How many of you have had that hidden anger towards God or hidden frustration, hidden hostility towards God? It's not always open. And so Herod represents someone who is hostile towards God. That's his response. Secondly, although I think it's very subtle, and and I'm kind of looking into the Scriptures here, reading into them, but we see the chief priests and the scribes' response to to Jesus was that of indifference. Now, the chief priests and the scribes, we all know, are the religious leaders of the day. They were the ones who knew everything. They were the wise men of Israel, so to speak. And they were summoned by Herod because Herod wanted to know information about God. He wanted to know when the Messiah was come. Where, where, where was he to be born? And so he went to these guys who knew about the prophecies. They knew about the Messiah. They knew about the King of the Jews. They had all those things down. And so these were the people who, who knew the Scriptures. They knew about God. They knew about his birth, but they were indifferent. They knew the prophecies, they, but they didn't go along with the wise men to worship. You know, not everyone finds Jesus troubling. Not everyone is hostile, openly hostile towards Jesus. But many are indifferent when it comes to Jesus. In that they know a fair amount about Jesus. There are many who know a lot about Jesus, who he claims to be, the Son of God. They know about that he came to earth. They know that he did miracles. They know he had power over demons. They know about his death. They know about his resurrection. They know about all these things. They even might go to church for years. They might be very religious, call themselves Christians, and yet their lives show that they are indifferent towards Jesus. They've got all the information, but it doesn't show up in how they live. And let me say that this is typical of those who claim spirituality and religion or even call themselves Christians. It's, quite more, it's more prevalent than even hostility. They know it, but it doesn't show. Although the world is obviously becoming more hostile, openly hostile towards the Lord once again, uh, there still seems to be those in quite prevalence that are just flat, flat out indifferent to the Lord. And I found in this season, how many of you have been struggling with just flat out indifference towards God during this season? I have. Where you feel like your love wants to grow cold, where you just kind of, you know all the things that God calls and commands, but you're just going to kind of do what you want to do and you ignore it. Indifference, it creeps in. It isn't a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of faith. And obedience. Revelation 3.15 speaks of the people who are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. In Revelation 3.15, Jesus says, I know your works. You are, you are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold, so that because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You know, indifference is actually a decision to reject Jesus. We kind of think it's a neutral, we're Switzerland, but no, it's actually, you're rejecting the Lord. 
because the Lord wants you hot or cold. And sadly, both hostility and indifference are both that have the same result. It's a rejection of Jesus. And by the way, it's also Jesus rejects those who are indifferent and hostile towards him. Scary thing. John 3.35 says the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son, so belief is linked to obedience, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You know, in the end, it doesn't make a difference in the sense uh, if someone is hostile to God openly or subtly, or if they're, you know, overtly hostile, or if they're indifferent. It doesn't make a difference. It all is unbelief. That's what it is. Those who do not believe shall not see life. But we're here to celebrate the third option, amen? (laughs) We're here to celebrate the third option, that those who do believe in the Son, who believed upon the Son, have eternal life. Good news. And that leads us to the third response we saw, the response of the wise men, which is that of worship. Verse 2 says that they were seeking the newborn king to worship him, to worship the Lord. This word worship is in contrast to hostility. It's in contrast to indifference. The idea there by those who translate these words and try to convey it so we understand the original language, the idea is that of a dog licking his master's hand. How many of you have dogs? Whether you like them or not, you just love the fact that they're all in, aren't they? And the picture is of a dog just lapping at a master's hand in love, overjoyed, just ready and happy to do anything. That's the picture there that the translators kind of give you in this word of worship, proskuneo, to turn towards in worship. It isn't indifference. It isn't biting. It's the idea of worship, if we bring it out of the dog analogy there, when we bring it into our relationship, it means to turn towards and kiss the hand of the king in humble reverence. Are you a worshiper of Jesus Christ? And notice these people sought him out to worship him. That's the response that God would desire from mankind, is to turn towards Jesus Christ and lavish your praise and love upon him in humble obedience. Worship. The wise men came to Jesus, bowing all of who they were to all of who he was. They came to worship Jesus. And really, this is the response that the Lord is looking for us. Not hostility. Not indifference, but worship. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that in Matthew 5. You know, bowing your very soul before all his worth, realizing your unworth, unworthiness. 
Worship is anything but indifference towards Jesus. Worship is anything but hostility. It isn't, hasn't, doesn't have anything to do with that. It's bowing your very soul before him. And the amazing thing, when we lose our pride, which keeps us from worshiping God. See, pride keeps you indifferent. Pride keeps you hostile. But when we lose our pride, the amazing thing is that when we bow in worship of Jesus, unlike the kings of this world, as we trust in his death and resurrection, believing that he died and rose again, and that through him we have forgiveness of sins, we have peace with God, eternal life as we bow in worship, when we bow in faith, he gives us grace and lifts us up. Humility always leads to exaltation. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 5-6 says the same thing. It says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble your th- yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may lift you up in proper time, that he may exalt you. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he made us alive together in Christ. And by grace you have been saved. And he says, And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When we humble ourselves in worship, God lifts us up. That's amazing. Seated with Christ. Where is Christ? Above all. We're in his family, adopted as sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, what manner of love is this? That we would be called children of God. The way way up is down. When we respond to Jesus Christ, the gift of God to us, we resp- when we respond like the wise men in humble worship, God lifts us up. Not only for now, but in the age to come. Ephesians 2 goes on to say, but what grace God's given us. And so the question is, is, is how have you responded to Jesus? Where's your heart tonight? Where's our heart as a church? Where's our heart at home? Where, where are we with the Lord? Perhaps Jesus is a threat to you right now because right now he's calling you to surrender the lordship of your own life, to get off the throne and to surrender your life to his. And there's a war inside that you don't want to do that because if I do that, then I won't be able to fill in the blank. Jesus is troubling to you. Or perhaps you're indifferent. You've heard the good news and you know all the stuff and yet, It just doesn't show up in your life. Acts 17, 30 through 31 says, The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He's overlooked ignorance in the past, and there was a context to that, but the idea is now he's commanding that everyone repent. Repent means turn from your hostility. Give up lordship. Turn towards the Lord in your indifference. Say, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Jesus said he's the door in John 10, 9 and 10. He says, I'm the door. I'm the door to God. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life. Jesus Christ came into this world to give sinners life. And to have it abundantly, the thief, Satan, and the world that's under his control have come to steal this life, to keep you hostile, to keep you indifferent towards Jesus, but Jesus and his his gracious interest into this world and now by the power of the Holy Spirit through his word is calling you to life. So may we humble our hearts before God that he might lift us up. Humble our hearts in worship. May he give us a soft heart instead of a hostile heart. How many of you have had a hostile heart towards God? How many of you are having a throne warm with God? Surrender. <laughs> How many of you have a heart to heart towards God and just are indifferent towards Him? And yeah, well, you know, whatever. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. Be wise. Ask God to do a work and break through that hardness. Let Him do what He does and give pour water on that heart of stone. Take out that heart of stone. Give you a heart of flesh. Revive your love for Him. Humble ourselves before God that he may lift us up. May he give us a passion for him. May we worship him in spirit and truth. Amen. May each of us receive him into our hearts. And those of us who have, may we just be all out for him. Amen. In this time. It says in the end times that the love of many will grow cold. People will be lovers of self. And it's evident lately, isn't it? It's all about me. It's not about him. This, this, you see it in our society, right? Let's go counterculture. <laughs> Let's just be Christians, follow the Lord, love him. Let's let our love burn into a hot flame as we just focus on the Lord and worship. Amen? And I just would like to say, I, I don't want it to stop here. I don't want it to stop in our living rooms at home. This love has got to pour out. It's got to shine. You know, it's interesting when Jesus was crushed, what came out of him at Gethsemane. Your will be done, Lord. When we're being crushed in these difficult times, what comes out of us? Lord, take away the hostility and the indifference and fill us with the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? The Lord came to give us real life. And there's so much joy in the Lord. Amen? What hope we have. Listen, it doesn't make a difference what happens. Like, he's on the throne. Read the end of the book. He wins. He's coming back. He promised. He's going to get us. One way or the other, we're going to be with him. It's going to be over soon. But in the meantime, may we be like the five wise virgins as opposed to the five foolish virgins who the wise ones had, were ready for his return. They were attentive to his voice. They were ready. Candles lit. Lamps ready. Worshiping. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we 
ask that during this time, as we look and come to the end of the year, Lord, as we focus on the fact that you came to this earth to save us, to give us life, we pray that you would reach into the hardest heart here tonight, those at home, the hardest heart, that you would give them a heart of flesh, Soften hearts, God. Revive us, God, in our zeal for you, our love for you, where we've grown indifferent. For the person who's far off and has never known you, by your grace, call them to your throne. Lift them up, Lord. We're just asking for a a real move of your spirit in this church, God. Not a manufactured, cheerleader, weird type of thing, but just you in the hearts of your people and a deep love for you and a deep love for one another in these times. And Lord, as we close out this service in worship, may you receive all the glory and honor and praise. In the name of Jesus, amen.